Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, we must recover the foundation and root of our faith in order that we can have a real accurate understanding of God's purpose for Israel as well as his purpose for the church. My guest is Scott Volk. He wrote a book called Jesus Was Not a Christian, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. And he is a Messianic Jew. He came to faith in 1975 and lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He also started uh, a, a nonprofit called Together for Israel, and it exists to partner with the church for the salvation of Israel. Always glad to uh, have discussion on this topic because it's so important. And Scott, I'm thrilled that after five months of begging, you finally come out of the show. Welcome. Well, bro, I figured if I gave you a quick yes, you wouldn't appreciate it nearly <laughs> as much. Right. So it's called delayed gratification, but hopefully, I get it. Hopefully, we'll both be gratified by the time the hour's over. Yeah. So, Scott, did Jesus go to the cross to start a religion called Christianity? Was that was that what he did? I don't. I don't think Jesus went to the cross, nor did he even come to Earth to start a religion called Christianity. You know, you mentioned the book that I wrote, Jesus Wasn't a Christian. You wouldn't believe, Bill, the kickback that I received from that title. People are saying, what do you mean he wasn't a Christian? Of course he was the Christian. He was the founder of Christianity. Listen, when Jesus came, he came to fulfill everything that was written about him in the law and in the prophets. Not only did he not come to start a new religion called Christianity, he came to bring salvation to the Jewish people and to every nation on earth. And I'm so, so, so blessed that you started off the show the way you did, because I really believe, my friend, that uh, that there is a purpose in the salvation of the nations. And that purpose is so that we would magnify that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth that all the nations would hear the gospel, but especially the nation of Israel. The Bible says salvations come to the nations mm. to provoke Israel to jealousy. So it's really a joy for me to be able to talk about these kinds of things with you, Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, yeah, I love it, Scott. No, and I can understand why you would get kickback on the title, Jesus Was Not a Christian. I've always thought of him as a Jewish rabbi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He definitely a Jewish rabbi, but many, many people don't look at him as a Jewish rabbi. Many people look at him more of like this Anglo-Saxon white guy <laughs> who's the founder of Christianity. You see his pictures everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and and you, rarely do any of them look Jewish. But we have to remember this, Bill. Jesus came as a Jew. He was born into a Jewish home. His lineage is a Jewish lineage. He was raised as a Jew. He died king of the Jews, and he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a lot of Jew, Jew, Jew stuff <laughs> in there. Yeah, it, but, it is. 
Yeah, but, but here's the interesting thing. You know, some people actually recoil when they hear that, because I believe that ever since Israel was chosen as the nation through whom the Messiah would come, there's been a diabolical plot to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And the enemy, our enemy, <laughs> would do anything he can to keep us from really, really understanding this very, very important fact. You know, in, in Romans 11, I'm just turning to it now. This is a really interesting verse in verse 25 of Romans 11. It says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed. Uh of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Listen, if we're uninformed of the mystery of Israel, we become wise in our own eyes. Some versions say conceited, which is really the, the height of pride. And it's really interesting. God opposes the proud. If you want to be opposed to God, just be proud and conceited. But what does Paul say here? So that you will not be wise in your own conceit. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in and then all Israel shall be saved. I think that the enemy would do everything he could to keep us uninformed, to keep us blinded to God's heart for Israel. You know, I, I, I like to say this, the Bible talks about a God-imposed partial blindness on the people of Israel where Jesus is concerned. I firmly believe that there's a demonically impo imposed blindness over the eyes of the church where Israel is concerned. And, and Bill, when we can unmask that, when we can take the blinders off, when God takes the blinders off as we yield to him, I believe we've become a threat to the principalities and powers because I think the enemy would love for us to go to church and play the church game week in and week out and talk about things that are good and necessary but once we get a hold of the Israel peace, we become a threat to the kingdom of darkness because when Jesus comes back, the enemy's rule is over and Jesus can't come back until Israel welcomes him back and Israel won't welcome him back until the church becomes all that God's called them to be where Israel is concerned. I know that's a mouthful that I just gave you, but uh, that's really my firm belief, my friend. And Scott, just hearing this is so exciting. Once again, I love hearing those words spoken out loud. Scott Volk is my guest. His, uh, his book that he wrote a, a while ago, I don't know, when did this book come out? Uh, maybe three or so years ago. I can't even remember. Yeah, it's called <laughs> Jesus Was Not a Christian, Discovering the biblical origins of our faith. Now, I'm kind of all over the map. I'm so excited to have you on the show that I'm, I'm bouncing around already. I'm already deviating from my own notes. But I would love for you to talk about uh, just the faith of a Canaanite woman uh, whose daughter was demon-possessed. And Jesus saying, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, and how important that uh, conversation was. Yeah, uh, that's amazing, Bill. When we recognize Jesus's heart for Israel, when we recognize God's heart for Israel, when we recognize the apostle Paul's heart for Israel, plainly written in black and white, then and, and red where Jesus is concerned, if you've got one of those red letter Bibles, when, when you read of those things, everything opens up. So here Jesus is looking at this woman and he says, I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That at, at, at first glance, sounds very ethnocentric. Mm -hmm. Jesus, it just sounds like he was, 
It, w- it was all about the Jewish people. Well, let's let's just unpack this really, really quickly. Why would he say that the world needs salvation? I'm, you know, John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses that everybody knows, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It doesn't say for God so loved Israel or the Jewish people. It says for God so loved the world. So we have to recognize that Jesus came to be the salvation of every world, but in uh, of every nation in the world. But in order for that to happen, God needed to choose one nation through whom Jesus could come. So when you back up all the way to the sin of Adam and Eve that introduced death into the earth, Genesis 3, I think it's verse 15, God spoke over the serpent and cursed the serpent and said that one was coming that was going to ultimately crush your head. And he was speaking of Jesus, the Messiah that, w- that would come thousands of years later, mm-hmm. but he needed to, he needed to find a people through whom that Messiah would come. He could have, he could have chosen Cain or Abel or Noah or one of Noah's sons. He didn't. But when we get to Genesis chapter 12, he chooses a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, every nation of the earth will be blessed. So a lineage is formed beginning with Abraham. And if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, 1, it says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Once God chose Abraham, every force in hell was out to destroy Israel and the Jewish people. Why? Because the devil knew that the Messiah was going to be coming through the seed of Abraham. And Bill, when you think about this, just look in scripture. First, you have Pharaoh killing the Jewish, wanting the Jewish boys who were born. He told the, the, um, what do they call them? The, the, the gals who delivered the baby. The midwives. Said, yeah. or, midwives. Yes. Yeah. He said, listen, if you see it's a boy, kill it. Wow. And then, then, you, then you've got Haman in the book of Esther who goes to the king and says, Um, The Jewish people need to be destroyed, wiped out, utterly, utterly demolished. Then you get into the New Testament and you look at Herod. Herod said, you know, every Jewish boy under two needs to be killed. Why? Where is all this craziness coming from? And then after Herod, you've got in in modern times, you've got you've got Hitler, you've got Hamas. You've got nations who are wanting to see Israel wiped out. Why? Why? Because God chose one nation that was called to bring salvation to every nation on the earth. So when this Canaanite woman comes up to Jesus and he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why did he say that? Because Israel was called to be that nation so that this Canaanite woman and every other woman of the nation and every other man of the nations could have salvation. And when the Jewish people rejected Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem in a very, very famous scripture where he weeps over Jerusalem and says, you won't see me again until you cry out and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus isn't coming back until Israel welcomes him back. And right now we are in an age where the gospel is going to the nations. And I really believe that that Canaanite woman and every other man and woman of the nations today has a debt to Israel 
Because according to the book of Romans and according to the apostle Paul, without Israel, we would have no scriptures. We would have no glory. We would have no Jesus. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we as the nations of the earth, the, the Gentiles, and Gentile isn't a dirty word. It just means nations. Some people say, I'm not a Gentile. Well, if you're from the nations, you're not necessarily, quote unquote, Jewish. You're of the nations. But God, this is the beautiful thing about God, Bill. He, through his son, Jesus, has brought Jew and Gentile into one family, grafted in as the family of God, so that when God looks down from heaven now, he doesn't say, Bill the Gentile and Scott the Jew. He sees us as his boys. We're part of his family. The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. There's neither male nor female in Christ. Well, listen, I am a man. I'm not going to walk into a woman's bathroom and say, oh, listen, we're in Christ, so I can go to go use any bathroom I want. No, no, no. There's neither male nor female. When God looks down, he sees his children. But the man still has a role in the family, and a woman still has a role in the family in the same way. There's neither Jew nor Greek in the Messiah. God looks down. He doesn't, he doesn't judge us by our ethnicities, but these ethnicities, these This heritage, the Jewish people have a role to play and the church, the Gentiles uh, in the church have a role to play to see Israel's salvation. I don't know whether I came off the hook there and and got off track either. (laughs) No, No, you didn't. But, But the Canaanite, the Canaanite woman is a perfect example of someone who needed salvation. And I'm so thankful, Bill, that today, whether you're a Jew or whether you're someone from the nation, salvation is readily available to every nation in the world. And we can point back to God choosing Abraham because through the womb of a Jewish virgin, (laughs) through the womb of our patriarchs and matriarchs, we now have Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm, Fantastic. Scott Volk is my guest. He spells his last name V-O-L-K. And Scott, we're going to take a break here in just a minute, but can we just uh, finish off that passage uh, where the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I know that's a very controversial verse, but I would love just to get your brief input on it. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing. Um, Back in the days of Jesus, the Gentiles were called unclean. They were an unclean people. Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles in those days. If you remember when Paul goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, in Acts chapter 10, Paul says, it's unlawful for me to go. But you know what got Paul there, Bill? He so not Paul, I'm sorry, Peter. You know what got Peter there in Acts chapter 10? Peter was in Jaffa. He's standing on the roof of his house and he sees a vision of a sheet coming down with every unclean animal on it. And God says to Peter, the Jew who ate very, very kosher, he says, kill and eat. 
And Peter was like, what are you talking about? This is every unclean animal that you can imagine. And God says, don't call clean, unclean, that which I've called clean. Now, he was preparing Peter to go into a place where there was unclean people, according according to the times of the day, because they didn't have a relationship with God. They were not part of God's family. So when Jesus said that to the Canaanite woman, I do think it's very controversial. I actually, even when you read it, and even though I knew it, it actually caused me to cringe a little bit saying, oh, that's so harsh. Jesus was so mean. Is he calling this woman a dog? I think what Jesus was doing was he was letting the world know that in the world's eyes, something that was once unclean can become clean only by the blood of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah and the savior of the world. That's my take on it. I'm no theologian, bro. You can talk to people smarter than I. I know that you have Berkowitz on all the time. He's a smart dude. I'm giving a shout out to my friend, Tom Berkowitz. Everybody should listen to him. Get get his take on this. But I, I, I really believe, Bill, I really believe that sometimes people will take those kinds of verses, verses that are definitely slightly controversial and they'll actually point their finger at Jewish people today and, and call them unclean, call them dogs. I mean, how the tides have turned. Anyway, that's my take on it. And All right. We're going to take a little break. Uh, Scott Volk is my guest. Uh, the book is called Jesus Was Not a Christian, uh, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. We'll take a very brief break and be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Scott Volk. His book is Jesus Was Not a Christian, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. And uh, Scott is a Messianic Jew who came to faith in 1975. Scott, I'd love to know why you believe Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Bill. I actually grew up where you're recording this show in 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 Minnesota. Nice. I, uh, yeah, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, to a, a, an upper middle class Jewish family. My dad was a very successful stockbroker on Wall Street. My mom and dad raised us uh, in a conservative Jewish home. We went to synagogue you know, on all the high holidays, my dad's parents were Orthodox Jews. And it's really a remarkable story. My mom actually wrote a book called The God Who Answers by Fire. Um, Her story is amazing because my father's family was Orthodox, very, very religious Jews. And uh, my dad's younger brother, Paul, moved from Brooklyn, New York, where um, my dad and mom were living at the time and moved to Berkeley, California. He was a philosophy major, really brilliant, brilliant guy, moves out to Berkeley, California during the days of the Jesus movement in the uh, early 1970s. He, along with, I think, seven other Jews are out there and one by one, they come to know Jesus, Yeshua, as the Jewish Messiah. And then my, my uncle came home to tell his Orthodox family 
that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And, and at the time he told them, his father looked at him and said, listen, if you don't recant what you just said, you're no longer my son. Uh, that, that's how religious they were. Jesus in a Jewish home was, um, that, was a, that was a big, big blow. And, and parents are willing to cut off relationships with their kids when they, when they talk about Jesus as the Messiah. Well, everybody got up from the table, Bill, except my mom. And she looked at my uncle, Paul, and she said, Paul, you can believe whatever you want, but don't put that belief on us. And Paul looked at my mom, this is back in 1972 or 1973, and said, June, you can ask God himself if what I'm saying is true, because the, the Jewish scriptures say anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that night, Bill, my mom awakened in the middle of the night with a nightmare and right in her bed, lying in her bed, she prays a simple prayer. She said, God, was Jesus Christ your son? She said, Father, I really want to know, was Jesus Christ your son? You have to understand something. My mom was not gone to church, never saw Christian TV. I don't even know if Christian TV was a thing back then. <laughs> she had no, no grid for quote unquote Christianity or Christian things. She was lying in bed and said, father, I really want to know was Jesus your son. And she had an experience with the God of Israel. She said, she looked at the window curtains. She had curtains in her bedroom and they looked like they were on fire. And, and, and then she said she felt this presence in the room. She said she her tongue started to gyrate up and down. And in her mind, she was saying, June, this is just your imagination. She felt this presence come into her body and clean her out. Uh, <laughs> and and, and, and she, she was having this like radical experience. And then she says that out of her mouth were coming words that she didn't know. And those words were the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. She said she prayed that prayer three times, never heard it before in her life. Whoa. And then everything in the room calmed down the shade, the window curtains went back to normal. She laid in what she called the pool of peace. And she knew that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and the savior of the world. The next day she called up my uncle Paul. She said, you're, you're never going to believe what happened to me. And when she told him the words that she spoke, Paul said, June, that's the only prayer that Jesus ever taught. <laughs> so my mother, my mother was radically transformed in the bedroom of her house. No, nobody led her in a prayer. She was radically transformed when my dad woke up the next morning. My mom told him what happened, and my dad's name is Shelly. Uh, he said, uh, June, take two aspirin and go back to bed. You'll, you'll feel fine when you, when you get up again. Well, uh, nothing changed with my mom. For 17 months, my dad uh, wrestled with God in every way. You know, the Bible says um, Jews look for a sign. Well, my father uh, cried out. And, and amazingly, throughout these fleeces to the Lord, these crazy kinds of things, saying, God, if you're real, if you're who June says you are, 
Um, let me turn the radio of my car on and hear an evangelist. You know, things like that, almost like it was testing up. Well, he would turn the radio on and Billy Graham came through the, <laughs> the radio speakers. They, you know, he threw fleece after fleece out over these 17 months. Every single one of them were answered. And then ultimately what happened, a man by the name of Art Katz, who wrote a book called Ben Israel, Odyssey of a Modern Jew, was coming to speak in New Haven, Connecticut. We were living outside of New Haven, Connecticut. My dad's stock brokerage firm was based out of New Haven. He was coming to speak at a full gospel businessmen's meeting in New Haven, Connecticut. So my dad called him up on the phone. Believe it or not, they had phone books back in those days. <laughs> and he called, my dad called up information 411 to see if he could get Art Katz's phone number. He knew he lived in New Jersey. He called up, got Art's number, called him on the phone and intended on inviting Art to coffee with him, but instead found the words coming out of his mouth. Art, would you and your family like to stay at our home uh, when you come to Connecticut? And Art accepted the invitation. I just want to pause right there for one second, Bill. Think about this. We live in a day where modern speakers you know, they, they, they go and they stay in the, the plushest of hotels. They, they, they run into their meetings and then they run out. They're not accessible. But think about this. A man who was a very, very well-known speaker agreed to come into a person's home who he never met before. That actually reminds me of Jesus sending his disciples out, telling them, you know, don't, don't take any, any food or extra clothing or money with you. And in the homes that open their door to you, you tell them that the kingdom of God has come today. I, I think, brother, that we're, we're in need of men and women to show hospitality today. My dad had no idea that he was showing hospitality in, in such a way that, that, that this family came and before the weekend was out, my dad professed Jesus <sighs> as Lord and King. Uh, the next day he was baptized. It, Art said, you know, uh, <laughs> come with me, I'm going to a baptism service. And when my dad got home before the baptism service, uh, my mom had this clothing on their bed. And uh, my dad said, uh, what's that clothing for? And my mom goes, Art didn't tell you? Um, and then my dad said, well, Art told us we're going to a baptism service. And my mom said, is that all he said? And my dad goes, yes, whose baptism is it? And my mom goes, it's yours. (laughs) That, that evening in a Baptist church in New Haven, Connecticut, my mom and dad were baptized by a Jewish believer in Jesus named Art Katz with a charismatic Catholic nun playing guitar, singing the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> and my mom and dad come out of the water and were, um, were, were disciples of Jesus. And uh, that summer was the summer of 1975. My dad got saved in November of 74. 1975, we met, went and visited Art in northern Minnesota, where he started a community of believers on a, on a property about 150 acres and uh, people from around the world would come and stay there. And we were in the upstairs of a barn that still is standing on this property. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of that barn in my house to always remind me. We were in the upstairs of the barn and my dad, along with my uncle Paul, were there. A number of other Jewish believers 
in the Messiah. And Art looked at me. I was um, I was 10 years old. He looked at me and he said, Scotty, when will you embrace the faith of your father and your fathers? And right then I asked the Lord to be king in my life and in my heart. That night, Art baptized me in his bathtub. 10 years old, I was baptized in a bathtub. <laughs> and um, from that time in 1975, holy smokes, that's almost 50 years ago. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. Bill. <laughs> almost 50 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I haven't been perfect these last 50 years, but I've never turned my back on Jesus as King. And I feel so blessed to be, um, to be (laughs) a Jewish man who is now part of God's family with people like you and people in the household of faith, Jew and Gentile alike, who have the privilege of proclaiming Jesus as King. What a privilege. Well, Scott, you cannot make that story up. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Too, it's it? too good and it's too crazy. Yeah. Um, the yeah. fact your dad says uh, to your mom, take a couple aspirin and go back to bed. And then he comes <laughs> to faith. And I love the story of him looking up Art's number in the phone book, getting uh, 411, his number, inviting him. And Art says, yes, that yeah. is crazy. The whole thing yeah. is just amazing. It, it is amazing, Bill. And, and I'll, I just want to say this. It's, it's, it's a little bit off the path, but it's, 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 it's definitely on part of the path. Everywhere in scripture where you see hospitality, you see life. Abraham with the three angels who didn't come as angels. The Bible, you know, the Bible says, be careful to show hospitality lest you entertain angels unaware. It was the heat of day in the desert. And 99-year-old Abraham goes running to fix a meal for these three guys who he's never seen before. (laughs) One of them, the pre-incarnate Messiah, Mm -hmm. shows up at his tent and says, this time next year, you'll have a son. The very next chapter, I think it's Genesis 19, Lot shows hospitality to the two angels that are walking down the road. He, 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 he implores them to come into the house. So he shows hospitality. And because he showed hospitality, he and his family were saved. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he made totally and completely saved. Unfortunately, his wife looked back, but you, you know, the story throughout the scriptures, who, who else showed hospitality? The Shunammite woman showed hospitality to Elisha. And what happened? Her womb, her dead womb opens up. How about the widow who showed hospitality to Elijah? Her son is raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, throughout scripture. And then Jesus says to his disciples, you go out. We talked about this just very, very briefly. And every home that welcomed his disciples in, they said, the kingdom of God has come for you today. And it's the same way today. Yeah. Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks Mm -hmm. and anyone who opens up the door, he will come in and sup with him. And and for all of you who are listening today, I don't know where you are with the Lord, but Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He's looking for someone to show him hospitality and he'll do for you what he did for Bill and what he did for me. He will give freely eternal life. I'm so thankful, Bill, that my dad, without even knowing what he was doing, invited a kingdom man into our home 
And for that reason, today I'm on the radio with you. We showed hospitality to a stranger. God brought life wow. to our home. And thank God that my parents are believers. Their children are believers. My children are believers. We owe so much to the God of Israel. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. Scott, we're going to take a break. Scott Volk is my guest. Jesus was not a Christian. Discovering the biblical origins of our faith is his book. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just climbed in your car or flipped on the radio, Scott Volk is my guest He's a Messianic Jew who came to faith in 1975, and if you've missed any of his story of his parents coming to faith or him coming to faith, you definitely want to go to the podcast and make sure you get it from the beginning. He wrote a book several years ago called Jesus Was Not a Christian, um, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. Now, uh, Scott, this is probably a a, a big loaded question, but um, can you fulfill your destiny as a Christian without carrying God's heart for Israel? That is a great question, Bill, and uh, one for which I think every person needs to ask themselves. If, if, if you just think about this for a minute, that God chose one nation, which we talked about earlier, to bring salvation to every nation, let's, let's, let's just talk about God's heart for Israel for a minute. And by the way, Israel is called God, God's firstborn son in scripture. I, I don't know if you have any children. I have children. But what really, really blesses me, Bill, is when I see people loving on my children oh, yeah. for no reason at all. My heart gets opened and softened to anybody that cares for my children. And on the flip end of the coin, anyone who harms my children either verbally or physically, my heart aches and uh, something rises up inside of me. The, you know, the book of Zechariah, God says, he who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. Why? Those are, those are his kids. Those are the nation. That's the nation through whom Messiah was going to come. We have to recognize that God loves Israel because he loves the nations. God wanted to see salvation come to the nations. So he chose Israel. Just, I, I just have some scriptures here that I'm thinking of. Please. First Samuel chapter seven. What one nation on earth is like your people, Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself? God chose Israel as a nation through whom his name would be magnified. That is remarkable. Think of this scripture, Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you, Israel, will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Throughout scripture, Bill, the Lord calls Israel my people. He sent Moses to Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. In 2 Chronicles 6, 
God says, since the day I brought my people from the land of Egypt, Amos 9, I will restore the captivity of my people. You see, the Lord loves and cherishes all of us. He loves the world, but we can't forget that God chose one nation, the nation of Israel. And when God made his initial promise to Abraham, he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you, I will curse. Yes, I believe that we are called to carry God's heart for Israel. And I would venture to say the Lord is the judge of where, um, of, of people's hearts. But I don't believe we can fully call ourselves followers of Jesus unless we have his heart for Israel. For goodness sake, what did Jesus say to us about our enemies? Love your enemies. I mean, the, Israel is not our enemies, but even if they were, what is Jesus saying our heart towards our enemy should be, let alone someone that God calls his own? We cannot firmly call ourselves followers of the Messiah and lovers of God unless we carry his heart for Israel. And isn't it amazing, Bill, that throughout history, so much has been done to Israel and the Jewish people in the name of Christianity? I'm thinking of the, the, uh, the Crusaders. Whenever they marched into Jerusalem back in the Crusader period, they marched into Jerusalem with crosses on their shields <laughs> and they gathered all the Jewish people who they called the Christ killers. Let's gather the Christ killers together. And they marched these Jewish people into the synagogues in Jerusalem, locked the doors and burnt them down uh, while singing a Christian hymn. Wow. I mean, crazy. No wonder, no wonder the Jewish people um, think twice about cross carrying people during world war ii people with crosses on their necks went into church on sunday and incinerated jews on monday now we might say well scott you know those really weren't true followers of jesus i agree with you i agree with you but unfortunately in many many jewish minds and hearts none of those jewish people have ever forgotten forgotten the atrocities that have happened through the ages because of the cross. And today we are called Jew and Gentile alike to carry his heart for the people, to be authentic followers of Messiah, not just cross-bearing followers of the Messiah, authentic followers of the Messiah who would willingly put our necks on the line for his firstborn son. One place Bill, in Israel, and by the way, I go to Israel multiple times a year. One of the things that I'm so blessed to do is to lead tours over there. I'm, I'm actually going back in October, leading two back-to-back -to -back tours. But one of, my, one of the most incredible places to go is a place called Yad Vashem. It's the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Israel, where we remember and commemorate the millions of Jewish men, women, and children that perished um, in the Holocaust. But one place at this museum that is so compelling, it's called the, the Road of the Righteous 
Gentiles. Hmm. And along that road are plaques standing next to trees that have been planted by Jewish people in the name of non-Jewish people who stood for Israel. And it's really interesting, bro. You see Corey Ten Boom's tree there, Oscar Schindler's tree there, and many others whose names nobody has ever remembered, but the Jewish people remembered them because they selflessly loved the people of Israel in the time of Israel's greatest testing. And I'm believing, bro. Well, I'm believing. I believe that God's heart is opened towards those people of the nations who stand with Israel. So uh, back to your question, and I'm sorry for talking no, so no, long. No, that, no, that's okay. I'm actually going to take a break. We'll come back to my question after the break, if that's all right. Okay, all that's right. totally fine, bro. Okay, Scott Volk is my guest. His book is Jesus Was Not a Christian, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. Scott Volk is my guest. If you missed any of this, uh, trust me, you got to go back to the very beginning and hear it from the start. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. All right, Scott, we've got only about nine minutes left. I still have a bunch of questions, but let's get back to the previous one about can you, you know, fulfill your destiny as a Christian without carrying God's heart for Israel? Uh, I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up okay. with, say, with saying this in Romans chapter 11. It says salvation has come to the nations to provoke Israel to jealousy. If we as believers don't have an Israel piece of the puzzle, it's not the only piece, Bill, but it's a major piece. And if we're not carrying that piece to the puzzle, we are not fulfilling our call as Believers, you know, we just recently went on a family vacation and um, uh, I have uh, five children. Two of them are married, a, a bunch of grandkids. I'm, I'm so happy about it. But if any of those kids were not in the car as we were leaving for the airport, <laughs> I wouldn't have said, ah, it's all right. Let's just go without them. Uh-huh. No, we needed, we needed them in the car if we're sitting down to have a family dinner yeah. and one is missing. We don't start without them. We wait for everyone to come to the table. Nice. Bill, there is a people group missing from our table. There are our, there are kids of the Lord that are missing that we just cannot go on with our vacations or our or, or our lives without being burdened to see that those children come back into the house, back to our table. I believe firmly that if we don't have an Israel piece of the puzzle within the confines of our walk with God, we will not live to the fullest destiny that God has for us as followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, Scott, my question then would be, what is going on with the church? Is there a a blindness uh, in the church today where Israel is concerned? Is it something that is uh, enemy attack? Is it from the kingdom of darkness? Is it some kind of covering over the eyes of the church that where Israel is concerned? Yeah, I, 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 like to say this, the Bible talks about a partial blindness that has come to Israel because of their rejection of Jesus. And I believe that there's a demonically imposed blindness that's come over the eyes of the church where Israel is concerned. Look, 
the bottom line is this. When Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, and the Bible says in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved. The enemy's rule is over forever. So as long as he can keep uh, the blinders on the eyes of people within the church, uh, where Israel's uh, destiny is concerned, he's done uh, a, a good job. But through the ages, unfortunately, there are churches, uh, the theological term, and don't let me fool you with theological terms, I'm really not that smart, but it's supersessionism uh, or replacement theology, where, where people will say, you know, the Jewish people were, were God's children and all the promises that God made to them were for them. But since Jesus, those promises are now on the church and Israel receives none of their promises or none of those covenants. Well, unfortunately, that couldn't be more untrue. And it's that theology that actually led to the Holocaust. Now, I'm not saying that anybody who believes that the Jewish people are no longer part of God's chosen people are destined for hell. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, mm -hmm. but any who have subscribed to that theology that God has rejected Israel can lead to bad things happening to Israel. As a matter of fact, in Romans, uh, by the way, I would encourage everyone listening, open up your Bibles, read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and ask God to open up your heart where Paul's apostolic burden for Israel is concerned. You know, Paul actually says in Romans 11, verse 1, has God rejected his people? And then he says emphatically, as emphatically as you can, in the language in which he was speaking, may it never be. God has not rejected Israel. And if God hasn't rejected Israel, woe to those of us who call God our father who rejects Israel. So I believe, brother, that every force in hell is going to keep us from really grabbing hold of God's heart for Israel. And if, friends, if you're listening to this, and you actually have an aversion to what I'm saying, I just want to encourage you to pray, Lord, is there anything inside of me? Have I been taught erroneously? Is there any prejudice inside of me? By the way, we shouldn't be prejudiced to any people group, but especially if there's prejudice against Israel, Lord, we ask you to forgive us, cleanse me, give me your eyes for your people, because Bill, even in the midst of Israel's apostasy, God calls him his firstborn. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. If that's God's disposition, it needs to be ours. Mm -hmm. Scott, we just have a couple of minutes left. Tell us about Together for Israel. Yeah, Together for Israel exists to partner with the church for the salvation of Israel. There are tens and hundreds of millions of dollars every year that's raised from evangelical Christians for Israel. And I applaud those efforts. But unfortunately, most, if not all of those funds never get into the hands of believers living in Israel. Together for Israel was birthed in 2005 to support Arab and Jewish believers living in Israel. In Romans chapter 15, Paul would go to the churches of the nations and collect money for the believers in Israel. Romans 15, 25 says Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to give an offering to the saints in Jerusalem. 
because they recognize not only do they have a spiritual debt to Israel, they must also help them in their material needs as well. I am so blessed to oversee Together for Israel, which has given over the years millions of dollars to believers in Israel, Arab and Jewish believers. And friends, if you're listening today, I want to encourage you. Don't overlook the believers in Israel. Paul didn't overlook them. As a matter of fact, those were the ones who received the monies that Paul brought back from the churches of the nations. And Together for Israel exists for two reasons. Number one, to partner with the church for the salvation of Israel and to partner with believers in Israel so that the gospel can go forth. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the nations. Let's not forget Israel in our proclamation of the gospel. Let's not forget Israel when it comes to praying. You know, there's only one city in scripture that we're called to pray for, Psalm 122, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. And let's not overlook the saints in Jerusalem and in the nation of Israel who benefit greatly from, from by receiving funds from churches of the nations. It's interesting in Romans 15, Bill, Paul called it a debt. Well, For we have this spiritual debt. Let's help them in their material needs Scott, as well. Scott, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. You bet. Scott Volk has been my guest. His book is Jesus Was Not a Christian, Discovering the Biblical Origins of Our Faith. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.